took our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us, living a perfect life, yet being punished for our sin.
we had a great week. And uh, the sermon's going to be a little bit different today because I'm just going to give you small points and then you're going to hear from the lives of the people that went from this team and were changed by what God did. And I, I truly believe that, that each time you go, we make a, a major impact in the community where we work. Um, I mentioned earlier that 1,700 people saw the drama. I'll, I'll give you some numbers later, but uh, it's just an amazing thing to think that we walk into a community and um, 5 to 10% of that community make first-time decisions for Christ because of the work that we're doing and the preparation God has made. And whenever you're a part of that, God always teaches you something that He intends for you to bring back. He doesn't just do that just so you can uh, go have a good time or even impact that community. It's intended to impact this church and this community. And I was thinking this week about a verse, uh, a few verses of Scripture that we are very used to if you've grown up in church. Um, in fact, we've talked about them a little bit uh, in recent weeks. But it's the story of, the, of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And I don't know if you know the background of that, but you can turn to Acts chapter 8, and that's where the story's found. And Philip was in the midst of the most successful part of his ministry. He had just seen God do some amazing things with a sorcerer who had uh, given up some stuff. They had won victories, spiritual warfare. Uh, according to the Scriptures, many, many were being saved on a daily basis because of his ministry. And so then Philip is, is ministering in the midst of that, and here's the call of the Lord to say, I want you to go out onto this road, and when you get out there, I'll tell you why. And he gets out there, and he sees the Ethiopian eunuch riding in a chariot, and the, the eunuch is riding along in the chariot, and I love the way that um, the Scripture kind of tells it in the original language. Basically, it says, run, catch the chariot, and jump in. Well, Philip r- runs, but apparently can't get up there to jump in, but he hears the guy talking about the book of Isaiah. About Jesus being a sheep led to slaughter. About one that would come as a suffering servant. The scripture literally says that as Philip ran alongside the chariot, he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, I've been looking for this. I don't fully understand it. And it says in scripture that Beginning with Genesis, or the beginning, Philip explained the gospel to him. And then I love the man's response. He just accepts, just like that. Just instantaneously he accepts. Philip had obviously talking about baptism. He says, well, there's some water right over here. Let's just go. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch spend some time. Baptism happens. And then a strange thing is said at the end of that. It says that he was caught up. Philip was caught up and sent back to the area where he had been ministering to continue what he was doing. This morning, I want us to think about four lessons learned in a foreign land based on that story out of Scripture and based on what we experienced. And the first one is this, is that we must go where God calls us to go. We must follow God's leading. There are 27 other people up here that felt a call of the Lord on their lives to go. One of the things that my father-in-law, who did our devotions at night, said that after a couple of days, he realized that God had put together the perfect team for what we were doing. But the truth is, many of the people on this platform could have said, 
not this year. Not right now. Scripture is clear over and over again that we want to be in the center of God's will. But the thing about God's will for our lives is oftentimes it will make us uncomfortable and it won't be what we expect and it will be different than we would have scripted it. Philip was in the midst of a revival and God says, go out into the desert. Philip could have said, listen, God, there's lots of good stuff happening here. We're right here. Things are happening. Why do I need to go out there? But God called him to go to one person. And Philip obeyed. This morning, I want you to hear from somebody on our team that in spite of many reasons, she could have said that she didn't want to go follow the Lord's leading. Let her tell you a little bit about how she got there and then what God did in her life. So I'm going to ask Kathy Decker to come and just share with you a little bit about her story. Thank you. Um, I'll just tell you, you have to be careful when Lyle asks you a question, how you answer it. And um, I think Lyle will probably remember this. Probably about a year ago, we were talking about telephones and cell phones, and uh, he asked me what kind I had, and I told him. And he said, you know, he said, is it international? And I said, no, I don't think so. And he said, well, you're going to need to get an international. And I said, what for? He said, because you're going to Brazil. And I said, no, he's silly because I'm not going. <laughs> That's not for me. So anyway, we kept talking, and um, over a course of months, and uh, the cell phone ended up going out. I had to go and get another one. And I got up to the counter, and the man showed me all the different cell phones that he had, and we're under one plan. And in the back of my mind, I keep hearing this saying, is it international? So I look at a couple of them, and, of course, anybody that knows me knows I'm going to go with the cheapest thing. So anyway, I point one out, and the man said, um, I don't know if you travel much, but this is an international phone. And I said, oh, Lord. <laughs> so at that point, I knew I was in trouble. And uh, we come back, and we had a good laugh about that. And then the time came, and uh, the very first meeting that was mentioned, and um, I, I honestly was not planning on going to Brazil. Um, okay, y'all that know me know I'm a crier, too. So anyway, we'll just get that over with. But uh, anyway, uh, McCall, my 10-year-old, said, hey, I want to go. And we just kind of laughed and said, okay, you know. And as it got closer in time for the meetings to start, she really wanted to go, and we said, you know, that's, that's kind of silly to take a 10-year-old to Brazil. And um, so anyway, um, we, we talk about it a few more weeks. We start to some of the meetings, and then I kind of start helping with some fundraising. There was about four of us. And um, on a Sunday, I think it was, that we had to make that final commitment, we had a meeting here at 4 o'clock. We went home after church as a family, and we talked about it. And we weren't going and uh, she went to her room. I followed her to her room. And I explained to her, I said, this is not a vacation. This is not something where we're going to be at the beach all day. I know, I know, and I still want to go. And I thought, you know, I'll tell her we're going to have shots. And I know she won't go if she has to take shots. <laughs> so anyway, she was fine with that. She was going to take the shots. I said, okay. So at 4 o'clock, we come for the meeting. I think I even had called Jackie Norman and said, Jackie, I don't want to hurt your feelings or anything, but I'm probably not going to go. We go through the meeting. I get into the meeting, and, and I'm not kidding you when I say we have such a wonderful, wonderful team of people here behind me and in front of me. And um, there is something I could tell you about every single one of you that I love. And uh, when I walked into that meeting that afternoon at 4 o'clock and we started talking about some of the things that we could do, 
I sat back and I looked and I said, you know, it's the Brookses, the Wileys, the Harrises, the Forbuses, Ben York. By the way, Ben's my travel leader. <laughs> but when you look at these people that were sitting in there and the hearts that, that were there, we came back home that night and I told Lyle, I said, I'll just let you know something tonight. And I couldn't let him know anything that night because I still didn't know. And we got up the next morning and we said, we're going. And so from that point forward, we started planning. But um, I'm telling you, it is one of the greatest things that I've ever done. And um, if you weren't there with us physically, those of you that supported us, you were there. And just uh, from the beginning of the moment that we arrived there in that community, we stood around getting ready to do the shoe ministry. And we said, how are we going to do this? What are we going to say to them? And, um, you know, the thing is, I truly believe... God knew we were going to be there. He had prepared it ahead of time of what was to be said. And then the line started coming, and the children started coming, and the, the children sat down. We started talking to them, and really with no idea of what we were going to say. And then some of them, we asked for their parents to come in, and to sit there with them and just say to them, hey, who is Jesus? What does Jesus mean to you? And then to turn back and just say to them, hey, I want to tell you who Jesus is to me. And one of the most touching things, I think, is that whether we're here in Goodlettsville or whether it's in Brazil, people are just people. And we are the same no matter what. That very moment, and I told Lyle that morning, I said, I'm not ready for this. But to hold that mother's hand and to ask them, is there anything that I can pray with you about? And their concerns were exactly the same as our concerns here at home. And to look into their eyes and to see the sincerity that was there. You know, we left there. We really will never know the impact that we've had on that community. But to know that the seed has been planted. And there was even a question that was asked during the week that was said, how do you know if they really accepted Christ? Because there were several. There were many. And you know, and I really and truly think that it's not for us to understand or to know whether or not that individual accepted Christ. But the main thing is to know that that seed was planted and that God will further it along and see that it develops. And um, that's just something that, that has touched my heart, that um, people need to hear about Jesus, whether it's in Brazil or here in Goodlettsville. And almost it worries me a little bit because I think that that was a practice field. And, um, and we're back home now, so we've got to continue on with what we're doing. So just thank you as a church for supporting us and supporting this whole entire team for allowing us to go. One of the uh, one of the neat moments I had on the trip was uh, Kathy, who had expressed to me she never gets out of uh, Gallatin. <laughs> she just said, "I don't leave my home. I don't leave Tennessee." And so we we'd had this whole discussion back and forth about her going to Brazil and all that that meant. Well, like the first day of ministry, my father-in-law came and said, "Hey, I've got a couple of home visits I need to make, and I need a female to go with me." And I just thought, Kathy. And so I went to Kathy because, absolutely, I'm going. I said, you wouldn't even leave Tennessee. Now you're, you don't even care where you're going. You're just walking the streets of Brazil, not knowing where it is. And so I appreciated Kathy's attitude. Um, the second thing that I think we bring back is that we must love as Jesus loves. When I think about the story of Philip and the Ethiopian, you know, eunuchs in that day and time, and we're not going to go through all that that means, but a lot of you know, 
eunuchs in that day and time were not necessarily thought of as clean or people that ought to be uh, worried about or thought about a lot. And yet, Philip, when he's called, doesn't ask the questions about who this is or where they're from. He just loves the man as Jesus called him to love the man. When you go to Brazil, learning this lesson isn't tough because they don't let you not love them. You saw some of the pictures as you were coming in of the children, and um, we can't communicate a word. I mean, by the end of the week, we've learned five or six words, and they've learned, thank you. I mean, you can't communicate, but you don't have to. They just love on you. They just wrap their arms around you. And what we learned on that trip is that love can open doors that you never expected them to open. And so I've asked, actually, Dirk and Sandy Wiley both to come. Sandy worked in the shoe ministry. Dirk worked on construction with a lot of guys that were very tough. But I've asked them to come today and just kind of share what they learned about loving people and what they learned through the week. So Dirk was also part of our entertainment for the week. Yeah, he'll be here all week. You have, let me just say, when you have Dirk and... When you have a construction crew of Dirk Wiley, Bob Lloyd, Randy Brooks, and Ben York, I'm not sure how they got work done, but they did. So, How do you follow that? Thanks. Uh, I'm Dirk Wiley, my wife Sandy. Uh, we were blessed enough as a family to get to uh, be called to go on this trip. And uh, not only be blessed enough to get called, but to answer that call and get to go. Uh, we were blessed to get to go and share God's love. And uh, the, the biggest thing is we were blessed enough to experience God's love and share that with uh, a town of 5,000 people. Lyle said that uh, I wound up on construction. I don't know how that happened. But uh, anyway, there were, there were some pretty unsavory characters uh, on this construction. And I mean some, some bad guys. But, uh, you know, we jumped right in there. All the guys jumped in there, and we just shared, and, and uh, we shared our testimony. And the main thing is that we showed them God's love. And I tell you, uh, uh, the, the fact that God went in advance, of course, makes our job small and, and easy. But uh, some of those guys uh, took that to heart. And I'm talking early on, uh, uh, God spoke to those guys. And uh, uh, I'll share about a couple of them briefly. Uh, one of the guys there again just uh, accepted Christ and, and, and the love of God filled his heart. And uh, unbeknownst to us, he went home that night and, and he made amends to his family and his wife. And uh, just, that, just that little bit of love we had shown, it just uh, engulfed his body. But uh, that was pretty impressive. But the impressive thing is he came uh, back the next day and in front of all of us and his peers, told us that he had been wrong, he had treated her so bad all these years, and that God's love had spoken to him. And uh, so that was, that was one of the guys that uh, we, we got to, that God got to, God got to before we even were there. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get to go into some of the homes also. And, uh, you know, you talk about people that have nothing. I mean, they have, they have nothing. They don't even have a roof, most of them. But uh, another young man, we went into his home, Randy and I went into his home, and uh, uh, they were so eager to, to, to share their lives. They said, you guys have come 5,000 miles. You've shared your life. I'm going to share mine. And they really enjoyed telling us about their life. But uh, this one young man had been abandoned when he was three years old. Uh, 
a lady had taken him, I guess, more or less off the street. Uh, she had raised this young man, and uh, by the time he was, I think, 14, 15, he had gone to a, a school. Like, I'm not going to say it was a detention center or anything. It was a school for boys. He was there long enough that he told me his father came finally and filled out the documents, he kept saying. And, and, and this young man told me, uh, he didn't have an identity. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know how old he was. He didn't know where he had come from. But his dad had come long enough uh, to fill out the documents to give this young man an identity. And it really meant something to him. And, of course, now he had his identity in Christ. But uh, uh, the, the, the most uh, amazing thing is he told uh, us, Randy, myself, in front of God and us, that he wanted to tell this lady that he loved her. And thank you. He said he had never told that lady that. So uh, we had a massive group hug and a big crying. And, uh, uh, but uh, it was just, it was obvious that God's love was there. So uh, that, was the, that was just an experience for that whole town to, to uh, experience God's love. Uh, my, I guess but what I should say is I, I'd never witnessed to anyone. And, uh, and I knew when we plan the trip to Brazil, that that's mainly what we would be doing. Uh, I knew that I could go there and love the children. Uh, that wasn't going to be a problem. Uh, I knew I could wash their feet, put the shoes on them. Uh, and I'd only witness probably to two. That would be my children, Brian and Ashley. Uh, but once you get there and you've got to understand, you're, you're, you know, you're having to go through an a interpreter and then they talk to the child and back and forth, not only with the children, but the adults too. Um, and, and you forget about that. You want to just talk and get ahead of yourself. You get so excited, but you've got to stop so they can understand what you're saying and translate it. By the time it gets back to you, you sort of forget where you were. So, uh, of course, I'd prayed well before we went on the trip. Uh, I prayed all the way down there. I read the books, how we're supposed to witness to people. And... Um, but when you get there and then you see them and you just want to love them, you see they're just so anxious to see you. Uh, when the bus would pull up uh, in, you know, in the mornings and we'd get off, they were just lined up. And, and they just wanted to see you. They wanted you to hug them. And Lyle had said they're loving people, and they are. They, they meet you and they just hug you. They smile and laugh for somebody that didn't have anything. They seemed to be so happy, the kids did. But anyway, um, I, I prayed about it. I prayed, God, I, you know, Help me to say the right thing to these children that uh, when Lyle said I was going to be doing the happy feet, I thought, well, they're little, and I want, to, I want to explain to them the right way. I don't want to mess it up, much less talking to them, you know, and it having to be translated. So um, I was worried about it, but once we got to Washington and talking, and um, I thought, well, these are little ones. They'll probably not want to accept Christ. They'll be embarrassed. And um, so I was washed and washed and the very first one said yes, they wanted to accept Christ. Well, I, I got really scared. I thought, well, you know, I don't know what to say to these children. But um, it, it just worked. It came out. God spoke through me. Um, there again, I, I never witnessed to anyone. And then after the first one, I could hardly wait till the next one came. And I hoped they wanted to do the same thing. And I can't tell you how many. I, I don't even know how many feet we washed. There were so many. I know we gave 300 pairs of shoes away, but... Uh, I don't know how, how many each one of us did, but you could hear they were like three stations set up in little rooms, and you could hear everybody praying the sinner's prayer. So there were a lot of little children. A lot of them, their mothers or grandmothers came with them, and 
you had to ask them too, did they want to accept Christ? And, and uh, the majority of them did. But uh, they, a lot of them had heard of Jesus, uh, but they just didn't know what Jesus did for them. So, uh, like I said, after their two or three days, it, it, it came more and more easy for me to do. And, and uh, each day was just a blessing to me, as much a blessing to me as it was to them. Um, that's what I've learned. I feel like God sent me there to show me that I can witness to people. I'd never witnessed anybody here, my family or friends, uh, times that I know I needed to and should have. And I just never had the courage to do it. But uh, I am now. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to start with my family. I've got sisters and brothers, and uh, uh, they need to hear the word of God. So that's what I think God used me for was to, to show me that I can do it to come back home and, and to share with others it's something Sandy kind of touched on there the third thing that I think this passage teaches us and we learned is that we just have to trust the gospel uh, I think sometimes because we grow up in the church and we hear it, we make it much more complicated than it is. We, uh, one of my favorite phrases lately is because of, in my own life I use it, is we try to overthink things. Contemplate it and think of the best way to say it. And, you know, it, it tells us in Scripture that Philip just ran up to the chariot and he just told him the gospel. He just told him. And you grow up at church, you're, you're a Christian, you know the gospel. God created us for a relationship with Him. We messed that up. He died on the cross for our sins. And He rose again from the grave. The difference in Brazil, and you'll hear about this again in just a moment, is people are so receptive. And we're not used to that. And so when they say, I'm ready, you go, no, no, you're not. You know, I need to explain it better. That, that wasn't a very good explanation there. And we're just used to having to, to try to think it through when we just ought to trust the gospel. There are no power. There's no power in the words that I come up with. There's no power in the words that I can conjure up or create in my mind. There's only power in the words that God gives us and in the truth of the gospel. I've asked Barbara to come and share a little bit about her experience with that. She was in the eyeglass ministry, so she worked mostly with adults. But I've asked her to come and just share a little bit of that uh, and some things that God kind of shared with her uh, on the trip been sitting here dreading this moment when a picture comes up there. <laughs> oh, it, it doesn't matter, because okay. you know what? Okay. <laughs> this is why he asked me to talk at this point, because I, I am a scripter. I'm a planner. I don't, I don't follow through very well, but I like to plan. If it doesn't get done, that's, you know, it doesn't get done. But, hey, there's some real good stuff on paper. And uh, even this morning... Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I hope this is not on the floor. Um, which is why my house is always so spotless. Um, even this morning, you know, we're down, Cliff's in charge. Every once in a while, I'll let him realize that. But, you know, we're down there and I'm going, okay, now you need to go here and you need to go here and this is what you need to say. And you freeze at this point. And he's going, calm down. I'm in charge. I go, well, I'm just excited, which I am excited. But, you know, I feel the biggest thing I learned in Brazil is that I am so arrogant. One of the things that Dr. Jett talked about was um, he used, was it Psalm 138? Psalm 131. Okay. I knew that we, given the big book of Psalms, that was pretty targeted, wasn't it? 138, 131. Um, he talked about how 
worry is a sign of pride. You're worried and you're getting so picky, picky detail. And that's just saying that you think you can control it all and that the way you want to control it is good, is the best. And, and I realized, that is me. And, and I look at how much that I mess up and I look at the fact, one thing those kids did learn to say, they learned to say, how old are you? Because I guess they heard us asking that over and over. So in English I kept hearing, how old are you? And I'm going, last one's right. And they're just looking at me like, I'm sorry I asked that question. But um, I'm thinking, okay, I'm 49 years old. I'll be 50 on September 1st. Right. (laughs) Thank you. Um, um, Raised in the Baptist home, you know, going to church nine months before I was born. You know, mom and dad taught Sunday school. I was there, played for the nursing homes in the summer. You know, did everything from, played in high school. I was the one kid in high school that on New Year's Eve, I was at church with my parents at the New Year's Eve watch when everybody was else out, you know, partying down. I was such a dork, but I, some things don't change. But so raised like that, went to a Baptist school, went to seminary, graduated from seminary, then had worked primarily my work experiences in Baptist institutions or in churches, which I guess that's, you know what I mean. But 49, almost 50 years old. And I had never, like Sandy said, I had never sat down and one-on-one asked someone, do you know where your soul is going when you die? You know, do you know that this life is not all there is? And I just, you know, Satan wants me to get tied up in regrets about that and think of the things that I haven't modeled for my kids, the people that I haven't talked to along the time. But you know what? I'm, I'm not. I have such joy right now and I had such joy even leaving Brazil knowing the people that we met the people who had accepted Christ the church that was going to be working with them just feeling feeling that unity in Christ like I'd never felt before and whether you know the people up here in red shirts or people not in red shirts these walls don't mean anything this church doesn't mean anything if we're not telling and like whatever the point was that was up there on the screen it's, it's the gospel it's the Holy Spirit it's not anything I say which is real hard for me because I like to think I can be effective in what I say. I was sitting there at that table, which I think pretty sure had a beer logo on it, this little plastic table that we're sitting at in the eyeglass place, so, and you're blistering hot, you're sweating, and you're thinking, this is real good, people really want to listen to me talk. And I, was felt, I heard the stupidest things coming out of my mouth. And then I see these people, like Lyle said, saying, yes, I want to pray. And I'm like, you don't understand. We're, we're not there yet. I haven't said anything to draw you in here. And all of a sudden I realize God's just letting me be there for the ride. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need what I say. He just needs vehicles for his love to pour through. And he does it. And this is the first time that I can honestly say I felt the Holy Spirit working through me. And after praying with these people, I look up. And I don't just see an anonymous face anymore. I see Jesus in their eyes. And if you, and like you said, we've got to do that here. It doesn't matter if it's Brazil or here or who's there or anywhere or who's praying or who's giving money. If you're not telling people, there's a level of intimacy with Christ that you don't have. And I know that because I just found a little of that in Brazil, and I've been praying so hard that we will all go there. And I know I've talked way too long, but um, thank you. Thank you for helping us out. It was great experience.
the last thing and the most important thing is that we must minister where we are. We can't leave the lessons learned in a foreign land in a foreign land. And that means for whether you went to Brazil or not, God has called us to minister here. He placed you here for a reason, and you may think it's because this is where your family lived or your job took you, but you're here for a divine reason. And we need to minister where we are. Uh, One of the guys that has been just uh, challenging me in watching him since we started back is uh, Bill Lars. And I'm going to ask Bill to come up in uh, just a moment. Bill, you can come on up. We got him eating some corn there on the screen. You can't see that. Um, Bill uh, is a guy that that uh, on the way back, you know, you leave Brazil and you you get on the overnight flight. We get on a flight at midnight Brazilian time. It's about ten o'clock here, and we flew all night, eight hours. Uh, they don't let you sleep on the plane. It's kind of like a hospital. They're always waking you up to eat or do something, and so. You're tired and you're worn out, and you get to Miami, and we're sitting there at Miami. We're getting our luggage, and sitting, you know, we're kind of gathering. And I hear a conversation, and it's Bill Lars witnessing to a guy in the Miami airport. Even this week, and I'm going to let Bill share, may not share this story, but even this week, I've been with Bill, with a guy that he's been talking to about Christ since we've been back. And so I just want Bill just to share a little bit about his experience in Brazil but also how the Lord has called him as he's come back to bring those lessons back. And we did give Bill a red shirt. We're not, we didn't discriminate against Bill on the red shirt, but this is a good shirt too. I'm, I'm hoping somebody is wearing that red shirt back in Brazil because we had the opportunity to give our clothes away. and So I gave that one away because <laughs> it, it had the John 3.16 on the back in Portuguese, and I figured most people around here wouldn't know what it is, so I gave it away. But um, Lyle, when he asked us what we learned, uh, the biggest thing I learned is that I don't have to be afraid to, to share Christ with someone. I still have the fear, but I don't have to have it. If I, if I don't want it, I don't have to have it. Because Christ gives us the ability, I mean, that's what we're here for, and that's what I realized um, when I was there, that there was a greater sense of purpose in my life than what I was living it for. Um, I had witnessed to people while I was in the United States before I went to Brazil, but not, not with a consistency and not with a fervor and not with the same questions. The question that we were taught to ask was, if you, like Barbara said, if you were to die, would you know for sure that you'd go to live with God. And then the second question we were taught to ask was, well, if you were to stand before God today and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If you ask someone those questions, you can get all kinds of different answers. But those questions help people to see what what they really are inside spiritually, because A lot of us in the United States and even in Brazil, people thought they were Christians. And when we ask them those questions, you know, they thought, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I've been good. You know, I've been raised in the church. I've, you know, I pray, I, whatever I do. And, and we were able to present the gospel to them. And like Barbara and others shared, they, they accepted Christ 
right on the spot. And since I've been back to the United States, uh, like Brother Lyle shared, I've had the opportunity to, to talk to people. And I just figured, man, if, if I don't do this now, I'm, I'm going to lose I'm going to lose what power God has given me in the experience I had in Brazil if I don't follow through on this now. Because it's one thing to go to a different place where you're with a lot of different people and experience something and have the thrill of that and and lead people to Christ. It's another thing to come back to your own land and do it. So when we got to the airport, I said, this is no different. I need to go share Christ with some people here. So I had the opportunity there. And then since I've been home, I'd had the opportunity. I'd never gone across the street and talked to my neighbor about Christ. They see us go to church. We've invited them to church. We've invited them into our home to have dinner with us. But there's a a wall there between us and them for whatever reason. But the other day when my neighbor was across the street, she came over. We had this big, huge pile of, of leaves and stuff, and she was over there cleaning it up. And uh, so I went out there with my weed eater. I figured this is a perfect opportunity to witness. Normally, I just go out there with a weed eater and clean up because it was a perfect opportunity to clean up. But now it's a perfect opportunity to witness. And so uh, I did. I asked her those questions, and, man, it was hard <laughs> to, w- to look at your neighbor who you've seen for years and just say, you know, Sonia, if, if you were to die today, would you know that you'd go to heaven to be with God? And Sonia likes to talk, so she talked all around it, but I managed to get the gospel in there. And she did not accept Christ. And that's one of the hardest things is to lead someone down that path, to preach the gospel to them, and then them not. And we, we didn't experience that in Brazil. It was much different there. You, you gave the gospel. And, and this is one of the points that I told Lyle, the difference between there and here was that place had been just peppered with prayer. I mean, it's as if God had just constantly just worked that soil there until we got there. And then when we got there and we presented the gospel, then God saved those people. And so I realized that here I've got to pray more fervently. You know, the Bible says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And there's so many times when I don't pray fervently, when I don't weep, when I don't, when I'm not broken for someone, and I think there were people that were broken for those people there, and when we can get to the point where we're broken for the people that we witness to, and uh, and we can love them, and keep coming back to them with the gospel, then then I think we will see that happen here in our land. But we're so, I mean, myself included, we're so taken by the things that are all around us. Like, instead of going shopping to witness, we go shopping to go shopping. Instead of, like I said, going out to my yard to clean my yard up, I go out there to clean my yard up instead of going out there to witness. And there's a whole world around us, a spiritual world that we don't see. You know, the Bible says that we're in a, we're in a battle, a spiritual battle. And Brother Lyle and I saw that when we were talking to a man. It seemed like as if... It was either, we couldn't figure out whether it was the devil or the Holy Spirit working in this situation uh, to, to, to pull the man away from us or to keep him there. We, we couldn't figure it out. But there's a battle that's going on within our lives. It's a spiritual battle. And unless we're engaged in that on a daily basis, 
we, we, we won't see fruit. We won't see what we saw in, in, um, in Brazil. So I just, you know, that, that's what I learned. Uh, I learned that my life is, is more than what I see. It's, it's a, it's, it can be greater. I, I just think there's so much that can happen in the United States that we saw in Brazil uh, if, if we can surrender to it. But that's the part about it. It's our surrendering to God each day with our lives. Thank you. The, the truth is, you just heard a small bit of what happened. Uh, everybody up here could have shared some things, and we're looking at avenues where they can share some things with you uh, through our newsletter and uh, couple have shared on, a, on our blogs. Uh, you can read there as well. Um, but it was an amazing trip. But it's useless if we don't incorporate some of the same things we did there, here. That's not useless in Brazil. Brazil, that is going to continue on. Even hearing reports in the last couple of weeks of the work that the church that is there is doing and the work that is continuing, it's going to be there. We've left a legacy in through Baljanau community of Porto Seguro, Brazil. But as Bill said, if we as a congregation miss the opportunity that God has given us coming off this trip, then we will have missed a major opportunity of God. God's in control. He's going to take care of us and of His Word and of the Gospel. But as Barber said, He so much wants us to be a part of of what he's doing and he gives us that opportunity and the question I have for you is the question I have for the team is are we going to seek the Lord with all that we are so that we can carry his message and his story to the people right here to the people in this country and to people around the world over the last year and a half, we've talked about being an Acts 1-8 church, but the question is, are we committed to that? And are we surrendered to it? The question is, are you? In order to have an Acts 1-8 church, a church that ministers to people in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, in Goodlettsville, in Tennessee, in the United States, and all over the world, we've got to have Acts 1-8 individuals. And are you willing to do that in your life? If you walk out of the service today and you go, boy, those were some good stories and I like the pictures and I like that song. That was a good thing. I'm glad I was there. Then you've missed it. Today wasn't about us performing or explaining. It was about understanding what God did and what God wants to do. And so I just challenge you today to think back over some of the testimonies you've heard and the Redeemer that you saw and how it impacted our lives that Christ came for us. And then begin to ask the question, where is God calling me to serve Him? Would you bow your heads this morning? In just a moment, we're going to start our invitation by having a song sung for you. And I'm just going to ask that you keep your head bowed in that and listen to the words and then Cliff will let you know when you need to come in. 
But the words of the song are real simple. It's just the more I seek you, the more I find you, and the more that I find you, the more that I love you. And I don't know where you are in your life, but my guess is that there are many of you in this room who are not seeking the Lord like you ought to seek Him, that aren't giving yourself to the Lord like you ought to give yourself to Him. And this morning, this invitation is a call for you to do that. Whether it's a first-time commitment to the Lord or whether it's just saying that I haven't been doing what I need to be doing. And this morning, you need to come and to pray at this altar or speak to me. Speak to Tom, who will be here. This morning, my question to you is, are you living your life on the way the Lord would have you to live? Passionately devoted, following Him with all that you are. Just think about that as Sydney sings.